Hi, everybody. I have some exciting news. I am launching a Substack. I know. I keep telling you how I'm not a writer, and I'm still not a writer, but I am going to be writing about reading over on Substack. The Substack is called Unstacked, and you can find it at tracythomas.substack.com. There will be free options every Friday. There'll be a bunch of weekly roundups, announcements, all the shit I'm into. And then if you want to upgrade yourself to the paid subscription, I'm going to have author interviews, bonus episodes, anticipated reads, book pairings, community chats, all sorts of stuff. So, If that sounds like something you'd be into, go to tracythomas.substack.com and join Unstacked. And of course, I've got a special offer for you. If you go to tracythomas.substack.com slash the stacks 10, you get 10% off your first year membership of Unstacked. You have from now until April 4th to redeem. Again, that's tracythomas.substack.com slash the stacks 10 for 10% off Unstacked. Okay, that's enough. Let's listen to this episode. Hi, and welcome to The Stacks. I'm your host, Tracy Thomas, and this week we are launching our brand new mini episodes, aka Short Stacks. Here's how it's going to work. Every other Monday, an author will come on the show and chat with me about their book and their writing habits. There will be very little overlap between the short stacks episodes and the full length episodes. There also will not be any spoilers on these short stacks. Every once in a while, we're going to have an author whose book we've talked about on the show, but mostly this is just another place for you guys to hear from authors and hear about their books. Like everything else we do at the stacks, the short stacks are a work in progress. So never hesitate to send ideas or thoughts about how we can make these short stacks better or just telling us what you like about them. Before we dive into the episode, I'm reminding all of you about Patreon. That's a website where you can contribute to the work we're doing on the show. Patreon allows for us to launch new content like these short stack episodes, and I'm forever grateful for those of you who have contributed to the show. The fun thing about Patreon is that you all get perks also. You can participate in our virtual book club, submit questions to our guests, and get shout outs on the show. If you're interested in being part of the Stacks Pack, go to patreon.com slash the stacks. I've had a lot of you ask me why it's important that you rate and review the show, so I'm going to break it down. Aside from subscribing, it's the number one way people can find us on the iTunes charts and other platforms. The more you tell iTunes you like the show, the more they tell other people. So please take a moment and review the show. It goes a really long way, and it's super easy, I promise. Okay, now it's time for our first ever short stack. Our guest this week is author Crystal Hanakim. Crystal is the author of our Stacks Book Club pick this week, which is If You Leave Me. Don't worry, there are no spoilers today or on any of the Short Stacks episodes. Instead, we get to know Crystal better and hear about her process in writing this beautiful and heartbreaking book. Let's go. Hi, everyone. It's Tracy, and I'm here with author Crystal Hana Kim for our first ever Short Stack episode. Crystal is the author of If You Leave Me, her debut novel. Crystal, welcome to the show. Hi, Tracy. Hi, everybody. Thanks so much for having me. We're so excited you're here. So we're just going to dive in. In 30 seconds or less, can you tell me about If You Leave Me? Okay. Uh, If You Leave Me is a story about five characters growing up during and after the Korean War. It alternates between those five perspectives and it spans 16 years. But I would say that the core character that unites all of them is a young woman named Hemi. 
And at the beginning of the novel, she is a 16-year-old teenage refugee in South Korea when the Korean War breaks out. And the choices that she makes and cannot make reverberate to all the characters around her. Amazing. That's totally the book. Why did you feel compelled to write this story? Well, I, you know, I have always loved writing and I was, I was always drawn to writing about complex female characters and mother-daughter relationships and the ways in which women are constrained by cultural expectations, gender expectations. And when I decided to write a novel, I kept thinking about my maternal grandmother. Uh, All four of my grandparents survived the Korean War, but my maternal grandmother and I are really close. And she was a teenage refugee during the Korean War. And as someone coming from a rural background without an education, her only avenue towards any kind of stability was marriage. And it was that was just such a fascinating concept for me. And I think that through Hemi, I wanted to explore what does the Korean War look like for a woman? And and from there, it just kept, kept expanding. And that's why there are five perspectives, because I just kept exploring different aspects of war and trauma. That's amazing. I know, as you said, your all your grandparents survived the Korean War. How much of the history of the Korean War was something that you already kind of knew and how much of it did you feel like was research? And I ask that because as a black woman, I feel like I never, there was never a time that I wasn't familiar with like the civil war or slavery mm-hmm. or like the civil rights movement. It kind of felt like something that was always in my life. Even if I then turned on to try to write a book about it, I would have to do research. So mm-hmm. how much of it felt like, oh sure, I know this. And how much of it was like, what day did this happen? (laughs) Honestly, it was a mix of both. I was, you know, I was drawn to this period of time because I'd grown up hearing a lot about this war from my family members. Um, And, you know, I think I'm lucky in that I come from a family of storytellers. My grandma had five daughters and they, we just all, and you know, one of them being my mom, and they just love getting to, together and telling stories. So I knew about the Korean War, and I knew about what, you know, about immigration in the 80s, and, and I was fascinated by those topics. But at the same time, growing up in the States, it was, there's was a weird disconnect, because when I was in school around classmates, it seemed as if everyone around me did not know anything about Korea, you know, let alone the Korean War. They just I didn't, didn't know anything. Right, right. You know, it's like when when I was young, you know, people knew about China and Japan, but no one knew where Korea was. So I think that I was drawn to this topic because there was that disconnect in my life where I knew so much about my culture, but the people around me seemed to not know about it. Right. Uh, and then I drew on a lot of the stories that had been passed down to me, but then I had to supplement it with so much research. And I had I had no idea when I started the novel that it was going to be so much research. <laughs> sure. So I, yeah, I had to do a ton, but by the end, I found researching enjoyable. But in the beginning, I was kind of daunted by how much I had to do. Right. That makes a lot of sense. Um, what were you reading and watching and listening to while you wrote the book, either for research purposes or just for inspiration as a writer? Yeah, 
I, I mean, I feel like I wrote this book. I mean, I wrote this book over many years. So there was so much that I was reading and watching and listening to. But uh, I think to kind of supplement or count, not counteract, but to balance, counterbalance all of the research that I was doing, which could be kind of dry. And, mm-hmm. and um, I went back to a lot of writers that I loved, that I that I think are beautiful sentence level writers. So I read uh, Louise Erdrich, Toni Morrison, um, Michael Ondaatje's The English Patient was a book that I fell in love with in in college. So I, I kept returning to books that I knew would inspire me because of their language. And I found new books as well, but I very much focus on imagery, language, and authors that kind of display culture in a rich way. I feel like it worked for you because this book is totally full of imagery and culture and like it's beautifully written. So I feel like it's by osmosis. It like soaked (laughs) into you or something or maybe by design. Inspired, Yeah. (laughs) Um, Do you have a favorite Toni Morrison book? Ah, I, I love Song of Solomon. Okay. Uh, I love Sula, you know, the, the female friendship in that is so complex. I have, I haven't started paradise yet, but I just got into this long conversation with a bookseller about how she thinks that paradise is Toni Morrison's best novel. So I'm really excited to start that one. She's just incredible. She is a genius. Yeah. She's, I've, you know, I've only read The Bluest Eye. It's the only one I've ever read of hers. You, oh, you have to, there's so much. (laughs) I know it's not, it's, it's me. I'm an idiot, but I know I'm gonna, I'm gonna, um, not that this is the Toni Morrison podcast, but (laughs) we should move on. But, you know, I feel like we could all talk about her for a while. Um, so speaking of like rich characters and especially female characters, what characters in your book did you love or not love, or did you love them all? Or did you not love them all? (laughs) That's a good question. (laughs) I, Well, I think that I loved all of them in the end. Uh, And I think that you have to love and empathize with your characters for that, for, for, to create a rich story. And, you know, early on in the drafting process, I showed maybe the first hundred pages to a a writer that I know. Mm -hmm. And she told me that she could sense that I didn't like one of the characters as much as the others. And she said that if the writer doesn't love their characters, the reader is going to sense that. Was she right? Uh, Did you not love that character as much? Yeah, I think I think at that point, I just didn't know him well enough. Okay. And and so he was coming across flatter. And by I mean now I I really love and care for all of the characters. I'm most protective, and I think feel myself most aligned with Hemi. Because to me, she's the core, she's the center and just the struggles that she has to go through as a woman during this time are, are questions that I'm constantly trying to investigate in my writing. She is an interesting character. And one of the things that comes up in this book a lot that is super subtle, but I felt like one of the major driving points is this idea of feminism. And when I was reading the book, I was really excited because I felt like you did such a great job of making Hemi a feminist, but of the time. She didn't feel anachronistic. She didn't feel like, oh, I'm going to go like 
riot downtown or something like she felt like the struggle she was making while they were huge in her world they felt modest in the scheme of things but she was still fighting back and I really liked that because she wasn't a hero necessarily she just had her set of convictions and I think that I mean you tell me but that must be kind of hard to find almost like a common subtle normal form of resistance I mean thank you so much for for saying that because I I was definitely I definitely wanted Hemi to be a feminist you know and I'm a feminist and I wanted to write her as a really strong character but I also wanted her to be really realistic to the times and she just she doesn't have a lot of choices so I wanted her to rebel in the ways that she could and you know I kind of thought I wondered if the reader would think that she that she wasn't strong enough or feminist enough. You know, those thoughts did mm-hmm. cross my mind while I was writing, but I needed her to be realistic in terms of what a woman of her time would be capable of. Well, I think you did a good job of that. I there just there's a lot of moments throughout the book where I'm like, yeah, stick it to him. <laughs> like, yeah. way to go, girl. <laughs> and there's also like a lot of in this book about like practicality versus idealism, like, you know, doing the right thing versus doing the thing that you want to do. And I feel like a lo- all of that kind of falls into, you know, the responsibility of women, especially, you know, in the 50s during times of war. So I feel like you grasped onto these really complex and I would say universal ideas, right? But made them feel appropriately fitting in the book. Thank you. I, you know, a lot of that was inspired by my grandmother because she is the kind of person who even now when she talks to me, talks about, um, tells me about, you know, how her life could have been different if she had been born now. Mm. And she is like Hemi. She's not Hemi, but she like Hemi, um, didn't have access to education and she had to marry young in order to have any sort of stability in her life. And, you know, that it just pains me to, to think about the ways in which she was constrained, my grandmother. And I think that was a motivation for writing Hemi. Right. I wonder, did you have um, any challenges with selling this book because it's about kind of like normal people? Um, I mean, who knows why editors pass on a book I, de- I definitely had people pass on the book and I and I but you know they don't really tell you they don't why. tell you why okay <laughs> I don't I don't know that I just was curious because well, both you know they yeah. wouldn't say it in that way I think it's just interesting because you don't see a lot of stories of war that center women that aren't about you know the the most important woman in the community right like the captain's wife or something right, right? Exactly. so I was wondering if that is like if you had any pushback because your stories about refugees who for all intents and purposes there could be hundreds of this version of a version of this story or thousands right so right. I just was wondering if that was something that you ran up again I mean that was de- that was most definitely a purposeful choice because I I love war narratives but much of I think maybe all of the war narratives that I read growing up they were about the men in battle right Mm -hmm. or if it was a woman it would be uh, right like the captain's wife or somebody in a position of power and I very much wanted to write about somebody who is much more ordinary who didn't have access to a higher social class and 
that is, I think, less appealing perhaps to a wider readership. But I, I knew from the beginning that, that that's the type of person I was going to write about. I'm so glad you did. I think important people are boring. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we just have so many of those stories. It's like, how yeah, many other, how many times do I need to hear about, you know, I don't know, Thomas Jefferson's family yeah, yeah, members. Totally like we get it. We get it. <laughs> Taking care of your health isn't always easy, but it should be at least simple. That's why for the last three plus years, I have been drinking AG1 every day, no exceptions. It's just one scoop mixed in water once a day, every day. And it makes me feel nourished and strong enough to tackle whatever else might come my way. That's because each serving of AG1 delivers my daily dose of vitamins, minerals, pre and probiotics, and a lot more. It's a powerful, healthy habit that's also powerfully simple. The nutritional insurance that AG1 provides has been vital to keeping me productive and focused. It helps me cover my bases in just about the time it takes to fill a glass of water, scoop in one scoop of AG1, and then drink it. So I don't know, 75 seconds? With the perfect mix of vitamins, probiotics, and nutrients from Whole Foods, I'm not stuck trying to assemble it all by myself, which would have considerably worse results. AG1 saves me all the time and hassle, and it has made such a difference in my overall mood and especially my gut health, among many other things. But don't take my word for it. Go ahead and try AG1. Let me know what you think. Whether you notice you're needing more nutrient support than you're used to, or you just need an edge for a tough workout, AG1 can be the ticket. If there's one product I had to recommend to elevate your health, it's AG1, and that's why I've partnered with them for so long. If you want to take ownership of your health, start with AG1. Try AG1 and get a free one-year supply of vitamin D3, K2, and five free AG1 travel packs with your first purchase exclusively at drinkag1.com slash the stacks. That's drinkag1.com slash the stacks. Check it out. BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. I do want to talk about something that I'm sure you hear people talk about all the time with this book, which is the absolutely gorgeous cover. I, I've heard you talk about the cover on in other places, but I want to make sure that everyone who listens to this show gets to hear you talk about it too. How yeah. did the cover kind of come to be and what were you maybe pushing against or trying to avoid with the cover? And mm-hmm. then tell us, you know, without giving anything away, a little bit about the flowers on the book. Yeah. Well, you know, my editor editor and I had conversations about what the cover could potentially look like. And I very early on said that I didn't want it to be a silhouette of 
an Asian woman with a bun or, mm-hmm. you know, like r- something with rice fields or rice or chopsticks. Right. And <laughs> so nothing think, super racist, maybe. or exactly. <laughs> Because, you know, unfortunately, there are great books that have covers that that position them in that way, you know. Right. Um, and I think that as a woman of color, there are just more obstacles in the publishing industry. And the cover is one example of that, even as a woman. Sure. So I was very adamant about that. And I mean, I didn't even have to be adamant. My, my editor is an incredible person and she immediately understood what I was talking about. And we were brainstorming, what could we have on the cover that would suggest a sense of lushness, something a little dark, but not, you know, have, have Asian girls running around. Sure. Um, <laughs> and I mentioned that in the novel, I have Hemi, the main character, associate different characters with Korean flowers. And, you know, I like putting in little motifs and tropes like that just for myself. So it's not very obvious, but that's something that I enjoy doing while I'm writing little nuggets. And so my editor really loved that idea of maybe having a floral cover. So mm. she got, she asked me to create a list of all these, all the indigenous green flowers that I used in the book to associate with different characters. And then she, they hired a painter to paint the, the, the cover. So I, I'm, I love the cover and I'm, I'm feel really grateful that they were able to make something like this for, for my book. It's so beautiful. I actually had someone who's reading along with us for the show who mm-hmm. messaged me um, maybe last night and she just said, there's a dragonfly on the cover. Yes. I lost it <laughs> or something like that. And I was like, that's so great. I won't spoil that for people who haven't read the book yet. But yeah, you might want to find out about the dragonflowers. But it was so cute. I was like, yeah, because I had that same feeling when I was reading the book. I didn't even notice the dragonfly. And then obviously when it all comes together, I was like, oh, my God. Mm-hmm. Um Okay, let's talk a little bit about how this book came to be and you you in the world writing this book. Um, my first question about that is when you wrote the book, was this your only focus or did you have like another job or another thing that you were doing? So I started writing about these characters when I, when I began grad school um, because someone had told me, and I went to grad school for creative writing and someone had told me before I go to have a project in mind so that you are purposeful in your classes. Uh, but at that point, that was 2011 when I entered grad school. And I, at that point, I, I didn't think I could write a novel. I thought that it just seemed too difficult, you know? So I, I thought, you know what, I'll write an interconnected short story collection. And I came up with an idea over the course of of my time in the program that I would have a collection that spanned three generations of one family. And Hemi, Jisoo, Kyungwan, these characters were just in the first part. And then in my last semester, my teacher, that was 2014, my teacher read a chapter or a short story and told me, you know what, I think that this actually should be a novel. And I think you should get rid of generation two and three and just make this into a novel. Um, And that was, it was so interesting because for a day or two, I was just flabbergasted because I felt like (laughs) I'm so close to being done with this short story collection. And now you're telling me to get rid of two thirds of it. But 
I don't know. The more I thought about it, the more I realized I think that my teacher is right. And I think that now I'm ready. I think I, you know, I think I'm not scared of, of the idea of writing a novel. So then in 2014, while in grad school for one semester, that's when I started the book. And then I finished it while I was working uh, in Chicago. And where, where were you working? I was working at first for a nonprofit, an educational nonprofit that was associated with the University of Chicago. Mm -hmm. And then I got the job that I currently have, LIDA, which is an incredible nonprofit. And what we do is we help socioeconomically disadvantaged high school students get ready for college. Uh, so I work with high school seniors from all over the U.S. They're, you know, in Detroit. They're in Hawaii, they're in New York, Georgia, everywhere. I love that. That's so cool. Um, I'm going to put a link to that and everything else you talk about in the show notes, but I just think that sounds like a cool organization. Yeah, they're incredible. And my kids are amazing. I love that. How do you make time for your writing and like, where do you go to write? Like, how do you get in that zone if you're coming, you know, from a work day and then sitting down <laughs> to write a novel? Yeah. Well, luckily with Lita, right now I work from home because since my students are all over the United States, we I work with them on their college applications and, and things like that. So I work remotely with them. Oh. Um, so that's really nice because I can be a little more flexible with my day and I'll work on that work for the half of the day. I, I don't like writing in the mornings. My brain just doesn't is not working yet hmm. so I work on my real my job job and then in the evenings I like to write and I have a little writing desk in my room in my bedroom where I will do all of my writing and do you have things that you eat and drink or snacks that are like reading or drinking snacks and treats yeah <laughs> I just I love like food. Snacks, right? I love snacks. I love food. It's all I want to talk about. So somehow I should have just done a food podcast, but this this is how I can squeeze it in. Yeah, I'm happy to talk about food whenever. Um, I So I don't drink coffee. Me neither. So yeah. Oh, so I just drink tea all day long. And I, I have a huge sweet tooth. So I like to have candy on hand. I like, you know, gummy bears and gummy gummy candies. Okay, so you're not a chocolate person. I've slowly in the last couple of years started liking chocolate too, but I am more of a gummy person, but my, my dentist told me that I should cut down on <laughs> my gummy really? candy, candy intake. Yeah. Cause I also have weak teeth. So it's, it's not a good combo. I have weak teeth and I love gummies and I am never going to the dentist if that's the information I'm going to get soon. Yeah. Yes. My dentist was told me to stop, but <sighs> I... <laughs> But I can't stop. And no. I also, I just have, I <laughs> like having candy. So I, right now I have um, where there's original caramels and I have a Japanese candy called Flower Kiss Candy right next to me. Mm -hmm. uh, I also love Haichu candy. Oh my God. I love Haichu. <gasps> They're so good. They're so good. Okay, yeah. here's a secret. A friend of mine works at Facebook and they have snacks everywhere. And whenever mm -hmm. I go visit her in New York, I always go see her before I get on my flight and I take like all the haichu on her floor from That's Facebook. That's amazing. Yeah, so my yeah. purse is like filled with haichu. I feel like, <laughs> I like I'm like the haichu Robin Hood. I steal from Facebook <laughs> and I give it to myself. <laughs> give, it, give me some next time. <laughs> yeah, I will. I will. Um, that's so, that's so great. Um, what about like writing habits or rituals? Oh, yeah. 
I, at my desk, when I sit down to write, I need to light a candle, which sounds so, I don't know, like spooky in a way, but I, I just live in LA. It's very, we do this kind of <laughs> shit. Don't worry. Yeah. So I light a candle and then I have, I collect rocks. So I have rocks from different writing residencies that I've been to and they are, they surround me at my desk for good writing energy. Yeah, that. So I have, I have that around me. And so, yeah, I need both of those things. I need my tea. I need my candy. I have these little Korean figurines from childhood that my parents were going to throw away. So I took mm-hmm. them. And so I have those little figurines looking at me and, and then I'm ready. And are you currently working on some, well, actually I should say it this way. I saw on your Instagram, you know what you're writing something now. So can you tell <laughs> us what I was going to act like I didn't know, but I know. Um, what are you working on right now? Yeah. So I am working on my second book. I started, I started this book last year because once you're done with your manuscript there's kind of a lull, there's about a year lull where the publishing house is doing their thing you know coming up with marketing and making the actual physical book where you don't have to really do anything so i started my second book then and then i haven't been able to go back to it in a couple of months because of my book tour for if you leave me so I just got back to it, and I'm really excited to be in this new world. Uh, it's so far, it might change, but right now I have two characters, and one is a Korean-American woman in present-day New York, and then the other character is a Korean man in the 80s in Korea, and it's alternating between those two timelines. Mm. Uh, so it's been it's it's really fun so far because I'm getting to know these characters all over again. I mean, not all over again. I'm getting to know a new set of characters again. And that that newness is exciting. I love that. Who is that first person you let read if you leave me? Mm, uh, my husband. And does he like give you feedback and stuff? Or is he just like, great job, honey. You're perfect. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> He's actually a really harsh critic. Ooh. And that is why I like him. Because <laughs> I... I... <laughs> I like that's why I like him as a person, as a husband, as a reader. No, um, we actually, when we first started dating, we bonded over a love of literature, and he he reads a lot, but he just is not a writer. And I think that that's for me. He's a really good reader because he will be very honest with me about my work. That's it's a good to have someone who like tells you the truth. Does he? Mm-hmm. Do he and you read similar things? in life? It's interesting. You know, our tastes are not what I would say that we like different texts or different types of books. There are some books that overlap. And I think we have started influence, influencing each other. Mm-hmm. So I had I got him to read Toni Morrison and Louise Erdrich and all of you know, these women that I love. Um, so I think that there, there are some similarities to what we're reading. That's interesting. My husband and I read similar things but obviously I read a lot more than him so mm-hmm. I'm constantly being oh you have to read this you ha-. and he's like okay relax lady <laughs> like, <laughs> I, I have this other job that I'm very busy at sorry I can't do that <laughs> what did you do to celebrate on publication day Ooh, that I don't know why but pub- publication day seems like so long ago even though <laughs> only a couple months ago um well that morning when I uh, that morning I was I think like 
fielding a phone call or something like that. And my dad and younger sister went to a Barnes and Nobles and found my book and bought it. And they sent me a picture. Mm. And that was so sweet that I just laid on my rug and cried. <laughs> That's amazing. I it makes was me so want to cry. It is really sweet. Um, and then I I think I had an interview that day, like a video interview. Maybe oh. it was my Refinery29 video. I, I'm not sure. But I had some kind of meeting that day. And then um, my husband and I celebrated that evening. That's awesome. Have you heard from any people who've read the book that just like you were like, oh, my God, I can't believe, you know, Brad Pitt read my book or something? <laughs> I wonder if he read my book. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> um, you know, I've actually heard from a lot of readers who they reached out to me because they like some part of the book resonated with them. So for example, I had a guy reach out to me because his mother is Korean and he, he grew up not really understanding why his mother seemed so much colder than other mothers and maybe less there's, she didn't exude warmth in the same way that she, he saw his, his friend's mother's doing. And he said that reading my book made him realize that there is so much of her life that he doesn't know, mm-hmm. you know, from her from her time growing up in Korea. And he it made her it made him think of his mother in a deeper way. And it made him reach out to his mother and ask about her life and what happened in her childhood. And so that was incredible for me to hear. That is really, really amazing. Yeah. Um, that's I really liked that story. <laughs> Yeah. Who is one person, dead or alive, that you would like to read if you leave me? Oh my god, I don't know. Mm, well, my I would love my grandmother. She's alive, uh, but she doesn't read English. I would love her to read it because since she inspired the beginning premise of the book, I think that it'd be wonderful if she were able to read the book. Uh, mm-hmm. I would just have to be really careful to make sure that she knew that she wasn't Henny. Right. Or she would get mad at me. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I love that. Your grandma's like, listen, don't start writing about me. <laughs> yeah, never again. Um, well, it would be an incredible honor if Toni Morrison read my book. That would be really amazing. Be cool. Yeah. <laughs> That would be really cool. Um, (laughs) It would be really cool if Toni Morrison like just knew anybody existed, you know, like you like her, like she like tweeted out like Crystal Hannah Kim. So great. You'd be like, oh, my God, (laughs) I would would die. I would die for you. Um, (laughs) What do you suggest to people who really liked If You Leave Me, either to watch or read or listen to that like is a good companion or just like similar? I don't know. Mm -hmm. There's this movie that I watched. It's a Korean movie that I watched that I loved. Um, it came out in the 1950s. It's called Aimless Bullet. Mm-hmm. And I would recommend that if you want to see a Korean movie that was created. It was. It's interesting. This movie was created during a very brief period during, uh, during post-war Korea where the movies were not censored. Because after the war... There were a lot of dictatorships in Korea, but there was like this very brief moment where film had more freedom. So that movie, Aimless Bullet, I would recommend if you wanted to just see more about Korean cinema. There's this amazing book that I read this year. It's a debut called 
what we were promised by Lucy Tan. Have you, have you heard of it? I've heard of it. I've not read it, but I've heard amazing things. Yeah. So we met the, we met this year, maybe it was last year. I can't even remember. Um, we met and she is a debut novel about a family in Shanghai. And it's really interesting because there are these strange similarities between our books. Like there's a bracelet in both of them. There's a guy who, who goes away and comes back. And I mean, we didn't know each other, obviously, while we were writing, writing it, but the, the similarities were so interesting to me. And it's a wonderful book about family and love and just, you know, what happens in the aftermath of certain choices being made and how do you cope with disappointment? Yeah, I would recommend that. Okay. I like that. Those are good suggestions. Um, since we were talking about that movie, would you want to see if you leave me turned into a movie or a mini series or anything? Or do you think like, just let's leave it on the page? I think it would be really fun to see it as a mini series since it spans 16 years. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. Also, I'm watching um, Elena Fronte's the, the HBO. Yeah adaptation of my brilliant friend have you watched it I've not watched it I've not read it it's not really something that I think that I would like so. yeah well I don't think the show itself would be good unless you read the book okay. I feel like it would be confusing for people who haven't read the book but anyways it's it's so cinematic it spans a long period of time and it was making me think like it would be, it would be cool to have if you leave me as a mini series that spanned the 16 years and you could see the characters growing up. Yeah. I think it would be really, really great. And it's like, so I just like, there's so much there. It would be really fun to see it because it's cinematic in the writing, but also just to like visually see some of the scenes. I would be really excited for that. I hope there's like a Hollywood producer listening to this. Yes, talk. of course. I have so many Hollywood <laughs> producers who love me. Um, I live in LA, duh. I do have to say this about your book, and I don't know if anyone's ever said it, but it was one of the first things I noticed. Your book is super light. Like the pages and like the weight of the book, it's not a heavy book. Has anyone else said this to you? <laughs> no. Just me. I really want Wait, someone else to bring I'm this up. holding it. I am holding it. I think you're right. I, I mean, I never thought about that. The pages are different. They're like special lighter pages. And I don't, for some reason, it just like really stick because the cover is also really soft. And like, yeah. this is really like deep nerd state conversation. <laughs> like normal book readers probably don't talk about this, but it really was like something when I picked up the book, I was like, wait, how is this book like 400 pages? And it's so light. Wow. You're right. It is really light. It is. I'm telling you. I don't know how they did that. I, I'm trying to figure out what kind of paper they used. <laughs> um, well, I'm going to let you have the last word. Um, is there anything you want to say about your book or like things that you hope people will take away from it or just anything in general? Um, you know, I think that as a debut writer, I'm just really grateful to be able to speak with readers. You know, I love it when readers reach out to me. I loved being able to do podcasts like this one. I think that the, there's such a strong literary community in the podcast and Instagram world that, um, that I am just feel really grateful for because I don't think, I didn't realize how warm and welcoming this space would be. So I'm just really grateful. Well, I agree. I, I found a lot of really wonderful people, um, through doing this podcast, but also I think that I can speak for some people like we're so grateful for authors like you who take the time to talk with us and write things and are open and willing. So I think it definitely goes both ways. Like when you find your people, you're like, yeah, 
Mm-hmm. Well, it's so much fun. Yeah, it is fun. It really is. Because um, I feel like there's part of it, it's like you feel like, I'm, I'm assuming as a writer, you feel like your audience is very far away. And I feel like mm-hmm. as a reader, you feel like the authors are very far away. And with Instagram and with these podcasts and things, there's it's kind of bridges the gap between two people who are really connected deeply, but right. feel far away. So I think that's why there's like so much love there because if someone loves a book, like it's so special to them and then to get to connect with the person who created it or vice versa, like that's meaningful. Yeah. And for authors, or at least for me, I love hearing about what themes or characters resonated with readers. You know, that that is so special to me because I want my book to reach the hands of people who who will be changed by it. So I love hearing from readers. Well, good. I'm going to put links to your social media in the show notes and then people can reach out to you on Instagram and tell you how much they loved your amazing book. (laughs) So easy. Yeah, perfect. Well, that's all for today. Crystal, thank you so much for being on the show and you have an open invitation when you're in LA to come record a full episode with us. I would love to do that. Thank you so much, Tracy. Thank you, everybody. So thank you. And everyone, we will see you in the stacks. That does it for us today. Thank you so much for listening to our first ever short stack episode with author Crystal Hana Kim. Make sure you listen to Asia Gable and I discuss Crystal's book, If You Leave Me, on Wednesday on the Stacks. Remember, you can join the Stacks Pack to get inside access to this show and be a part of our virtual book club, which will happen next Tuesday when we discuss If You Leave Me. So go to patreon.com slash the stacks and join the fun. Make sure you're subscribed to this show wherever you get your podcasts. And if you're listening through Apple Podcasts, please rate and review the show. I want to say a special thank you to Sharon Rosenblum, Billy Griffin, Sarah Fong, and Jacob Casey. Our graphic designer is Robin McCrite, and our theme music is from Tagira Jis. This show was created and produced by me, Tracy Thomas, 